Sports Ethos, New York Nick Podcast, Andre Gallagher. I keep telling you, stop getting hung up on how the sausage is made. If you know it's going to be a tough game, not just a tough game, but a game that they're probably going to lose. Just because they don't have enough healthy bodies or the right healthy bodies. If you know that going in, you're playing the best team in the league, by far the best team in the Eastern Conference. Why do you think they're going to beat them? You know there's a chance any given Sunday, so to speak, you can beat someone. Sure. But the chances of them winning that game are pretty slim, not being full strength. And if they are full strength, beating them in a seven-game series is going to be a feat. Like when people say they they are contenders, they're saying, hey, you got a chance to beat Milwaukee. You have a chance to beat the Cavs. You have a chance to beat Boston. Not you're better than them. You know, people say they're better than the Cavs. And I'm sure there's some people saying they're better than Milwaukee. Capable of beating them. That's what, That's all that means. But Boston, Boston is that team where it's like, you got to play your A game. You got to play perfect and you got to be fully healthy. And you got to make all the right decisions in order to beat that team. They are so much better than everyone else right now. So you go into that game and if you're, if you're being intellectually honest, if you're being objective, you're saying, hey, I don't know if they can win this game. <laughs> okay, I don't know if they can win it. Bottom line. So when they get blown out in the game, you start picking out plays and picking out players and saying this strategy was effective against the Knicks and they're going to have a hard time. No, fool. <laughs> no. Move on. Don't get hung up on how the sausage is made on a game that you know they're going to lose. And then you start picking out the, the different reasons why they lost. Those reasons may not be consistent. Going forward, they may, may they may not be consistent variables the next game or the game after that or even the next time they play Boston. Because the rotations are going to be different. The players matching up are going to be different. These are all things that are not going to be the case going forward if the team is healthy. Now, yes, if the team isn't healthy, yeah, they're probably not beating Boston. That You should not have found that out. You should have known that. And I'm kind of, I'm just kind of sick and tired of, and I know some of it is just engagement on social media. Folks are just looking for ways to engage or they say anything. Even the guys who are not necessarily Knicks for clicks guys, they will pose questions that they know are going to trigger either the, the negative Nick fan or the positive Nick fan calling you, telling you how ridiculous it was. The question is, and then they claim innocence. Hey, I'm just posing a question for discussion. Yeah, okay, but we know you're being ridiculous, <laughs> right? Just like I saw someone post Evan Fournier's stats. He scored like 12, 13 points in games. And I'm like, what? why are you posting Evan Fournier's stats? It's not like he scored 30 points a game. Like, what are you, why are you posting these 10, 12, 11, 14 point games from Evan Fournier? For what? It's a Knicks and a Knicks. It was Knicks Muse. Why are you posting these stats? What are you trying to say? That they shouldn't have traded Evan Fournier? What? What, what point are you trying to make? 
you know, when people do that, they're doing that for engagement. You got to see through it. You got to see through it. You do. But some, but some fans who respond to it, and I don't mean the fans that are arguing with it, but the fans who agree with it, the ones who are not doing nicks for clicks and then the ones who are not looking for attention, they are actually infuriating. And there are a ton of fans who look at this Boston game and they're casting aspersions about everything under the sun when it comes to this team based on this loss. And it's just, it's, an, it's infuriating. It really is. You take that loss, you move on from it. You hope to win it, and they lost it. You don't sit around picking on guys for how they played in the game. Okay? You you don't. Now, if you see a trend, like Alec Burke's not playing great, and I don't think he played poorly in that game. Didn't make his threes. That's going to happen sometimes. But I think the bigger issue with Alec is shot selection and what he's doing going to the basket. And in this game, he was a little bit... From from my, you know what, I, I don't want to speak out of school, but it felt like looking at it, he was a little bit more effective going to the rim uh, in, in, the, in the two drives that I remember seeing than he was previously. He didn't shoot well from the perimeter. You need him to shoot well. He, he's not doing anything in the shot creation department for other people. Uh, he's He consistently makes bad decisions. Uh, bad passes you know things that don't make sense it's like you know it's one of those things yeah it reminds you of his first stint with the knicks but his first stint with the knicks wasn't all bad i'm sick of people acting like it was but he's not playing well so you can talk about a trend sure but outside of that and jericho sims looked like he took a step back as a rim protector and i i keep telling you you know, he got better, and now it looks like he took a step back. He's not, when he's when he's at the rim, it doesn't seem like it bothers anybody he's there. I'm telling you, just because he might have a good game, and then he has a bad game, and you, you call it like you see it. So, no no need to cast aspersions, but that is a bad habit of his. Not And he, and he jumped straight up a few times. He was there. He was in position. A lot of times, he's not there, and that's what drives me crazy the most. It's like you're in the area, but you're not making a play and that drives me nuts but against the celtics uh or against any team that plays five guys out there shoot who are shooting it's hard to defend the rim it's right it's hard for everyone not just the dicks it's hard for everyone but you want to be able to get them back on the offensive boards at least if they're going to play small and Knicks were unable to do that and then the way they played brunson that's another thing I see people again making making a big deal out of nothing. Because Brunson had an excellent game, as a matter of fact. He actually was pretty efficient in the game, scored scored thirty plus points. Okay. He's playing against two of the, the better defenders in the league in Derek White and Drew Holiday. And he was able to be uh, effective. But he wasn't effective enough to carry them for four quarters in the game, and that's not a slight. The Celtic strategy, as discussed on the broadcast, was to allow Drew and Derek White to do their best to fight over screens and get back to him and make his life difficult. And it, it was it was kind of perceived like they did a good job, but Jalen actually had a decent game, but he wasn't able to dominate, and he wasn't able to make them change their strategy 
and uh, it, when they do that with the Knicks, with the Knicks and not having Randall, and to a lesser degree, not having OG, and with again Bogdanovich not playing well and out not playing well, not having a secondary shot creator to take advantage of, you know, other defenders on the team who are not named Drew Holiday and Derek White, who are excellent elite defenders, that hurt the team. They weren't creating any open shots through their normal actions and, and people not being able to guard Jalen Brunson. And as a result, nobody could create opportunities for themselves. Now, the one thing I would say, and we talked about Alec already, I don't think Bogdanovich is getting enough opportunities. If you need Bogdanovich to create shots, you can't give him two or three opportunities and say, hey, it's not working out. You got to actually go to him like a scorer and, and run plays for him and seek out mismatches and, and give him a chance to get into a rhythm. And you can't just, you can't play him like a sub, so to speak, who's just there to, you know, take advantage of opportunities that find him in the half-court offense. You can't do that and expect him to be a scorer. He might get hot like he did when he went, you know, five for five in the first half in the last game, but the game before. But other than that, you have to actually go to him and let him get into a rhythm. You know, you, you can't. And once again, and we talk about this all the time, Tibbs get a lot of criticism. A lot of it is unfair. But just because you offer some criticism doesn't mean you're you should be grouped with the fire Tibbs community who doesn't give him any kind of credit at all. But those are the things that kind of worry me. You know, you have to I understand you don't want to completely disrupt your offense for the new guys, but at the same time, can you at least give him some some of Randall's looks? Because I'm sure Bogdanovich can can eat catching the ball at the top of the, the key or the free throw line or something like that. Some of the things that you did for Randall, you know, setting screens and getting a switch and then having him go to work, give him more than two or three opportunities. You know, don't just have him out there and then it didn't work out. So you, you take him back out and you go back with your defensive guy and precious. And it's like, but you're not going to get enough offense consistently against a good defensive team. You see, you know, you see, you're not getting that offense. So, you know, you got to, you got to use all the tools in your toolbox. And we talked about that last, last episode. So I didn't like, I didn't, and, and you could say, Hey, Bojan didn't play, didn't play well, didn't shoot well, whatever. But it's like, you, you got to let him actually get a ton of shots because you need it. You needed it. You needed shot creation. You didn't need to just have defensive guys out there and your defense wasn't stopping anybody anyway. You had to be able to find ways to score points. And it troubles me. I think it's a troubling trend typically with Tibbs when it comes to a guy that might have offensive ability that you're not tapping into in the ways that he needs to actually show it to you when you need it. I'm not saying all the time. I'm saying the situation where you need it. You should have opportunities for, for Bojan. It wasn't enough that Jalen was out there scoring points. It wasn't enough. You weren't scoring enough points. You know, let Bojan create. But again, Boston Boston's a good defensive team, so you don't you don't get bogged down with what happened in, in this one game. But that is a trend. 
the Alec Burks thing is a trend. The Bojan thing is a little bit of a trend. Obviously, you need a little few more games to get into it because it's still new. But the fact that they didn't do it last game troubled me because that was one of the one of the games where they needed it. And when Bojan got hot and scored and hit all those threes, it wasn't like they were running a bunch of plays for him. It was just the ball was finding him. And that's not always going to be the case against a good defensive team. They're not always going to leave a Bojan wide open for shots. Right? And he's not always going to be able to come off the bench and knock them all down. You got to let him get into it. And he, ha- and he had some opportunities, too. He was a little bit off. And so those are things that I took from that game. Trends that you want to see you know, the team get better at. But this team is going to have its ups and downs, especially with this stretch coming up. They're playing good teams. They're capable. When, when Hartenstein is there, and Hartenstein is like half there. So he's there, but he's half there. You're not exactly seeing prime bond, uh, a prime Hartenstein out there. And you can't expect it, but you're not seeing the best of Hartenstein out there. So yeah, it's, having him there is kind of is like, uh, okay, you're seeing some, uh, some Hartenstein stuff, but not all of it. So it's just not good enough. And you're still having to, you're still having to rely on Sims to give you some solid contributions because Hartenstein can't play enough minutes and playing pressures at the five more. And, you know, that's is, is hit or miss when he's at the five. I stay on that. It's hit or miss sometimes. And it's through it's throughout the game. Sometimes you're getting great minutes out of him. Sometimes you're getting so-so minutes out of him. It's at the power forward position that you usually see a better pressure. It's not that he played extraordinarily, extraordinarily well in this Boston game. But again, you expect some of that. Jalen Brown, Brown cooked him a little bit in the first quarter, but I'm okay with I'm okay with that if it's going to be outside shots over contest. I'm kind of okay with that. They shot the ball very well. You shake that off. KP always murders the Knicks, but again, you shake that off as long as Randall and OG are not there because you can't fight fire with fire the same way. Um, but if the Knicks still have to rely on Randall, especially Randall being hampered and there's been a lot of controversy with Randall coming off uh the press conference that he had where he told everyone that surgery surgery was not ruled out everybody listen you need to read you need to listen you need to pay attention and I know a lot of people don't and what I've realized is that most Nick news is on Twitter so if you're not a big Twitter user which even I wasn't before this show, like I, I don't want to actually, I told you, I'm not a big social media guy. I don't actually like or enjoy engaging with people on social media constantly. And I do it for the show. So prior to the show, I wasn't, I wasn't going to be on Twitter all the time. I was on it, but I wasn't on Twitter all the time. And I followed Steve Popper primarily. So I'm going to stay informed as a Nick fan. But if you're not on Twitter, where are you getting your Nick news throughout the day? Where are you seeing clips from the press conference? You're not on social media, right? It, let's say you're still a newspaper guy. Maybe you're not a newspaper guy at all. And you really don't know what you're talking about. You really can't stay stay up to date with what's going on. So my my issue is if you're not doing that, then stop offering such strong opinions if you know you're not informed. That's that's what I would say. I don't know how you offer strong opinions about things when you know you're not informed. That drives me crazy. 
You don't have to. You don't have to have an opinion. Just keep your mouth shut. When they finally gave you an update on Randall, and it took them a minute to do it, they told you he would be reevaluated in, I think they said three weeks, two to three weeks, whatever it was, three to four, three was involved. And that took you right around the All-Star break, right around the All-Star break, right? So they come out at All-Star break, and they tell you things are progressing nicely. Doing on court, court work, okay? But surgery is still not ruled out. And of course, the sensationalized media takes that. They put it on the cover. I think it was the post. And you see a bunch of tweets. Oh, surgery's not ruled out. Blah, blah. And a bunch of silly fans responding. Why did they just get the surgery? And blah, 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 blah. And it's all like uninformed, misinformed, can't comprehend what you read. Don't know, don't even know what the press conference was when it came out. Just maybe heard another fan tell you. Because if you were listening to this show, if you were on Twitter, you're following Steve Popper or Fred Katz or Ian Begley, you would have heard very clearly that surgery was not ruled out initially. And it's not going to be ruled out, ruled out two, three weeks later. And if you need further explanation, it's because with this particular injury, it is prone to being re-injured. And if he gets surgery, that means he's out for the season. He can potentially play if he's not if he doesn't re-injure it and it continues to heal, he could potentially play and maybe avoid injury throughout the regular season in the playoffs and maybe have off-season surgery, right? If necessary. But if it doesn't, or if it's re-injured, he's going to need to have the surgery. That's the way this works. This is not being mishandled. Nobody lied to you. This is just you not knowing what's going on. So let's talk about where he is, though. And we talked about this before. This particular injury is susceptible to being re-injured. The way he plays... The bull that he is means there's going to be a lot of contact. There's going to be a lot of a lot of people jumping on his back, a lot of pump fakes, taking contact and going up, and it's it's going to be real easy for him to re-injure that shoulder because it's easy for people who don't play as physical as him, especially come playoff time. So you're looking at two things. You're looking at maybe him being re-injured before the playoffs, during the playoffs, or him playing and or him playing a little bit differently because he's trying to avoid the injury and that's on defense too which means that you're not seeing the same randall and if you're not seeing the same randall you're definitely going to have a hard time advancing in the playoffs because you need the best randall if he's going to be on the floor you need the best of him you can't have some half version of him because he's taking away minutes from guys that might be able to offer you something that he's you see the best version of Randall is someone who's going to score if you don't double team him because he's a tough matchup what makes him a tough matchup is not just not him shooting a bunch of jump shots in your face it's him being able to get to his spots on the floor which are below the free throw line extended and attacking the paint 
which is going to require some physical contact. Lots of it. If you don't double team him, he will score consistently. The way Randall's been scoring consistently so far in this season and playing well is getting in the paint. If you don't double team him, he's going to score consistently. It means he's going to take a lot of contact. He's going to take a lot of bruising. So if he goes into the game playing a little less like that, then that means he's if he's going to be shooting, he's going to be taking bad shots. Maybe he hits them, maybe he doesn't, but they're not the shots he's been taking all year long. And if that's the case, they'll stop double-teaming him or they'll just, like, fake double-team him where they're just kind of digging at the ball when he puts the ball on the ground, and you know he's susceptible to that. Now, if he's able to read the floor, which he's, having, which he's had a hard time doing in the playoffs, they have to double-team him for him to take advantage of that. But they're not going to double-team him if he can't score consistently because he's taking bad shots because he's afraid of going to the rim. So that means he's on the floor not providing consistent offense and not creating consistent offense off of his double teams. So you're just relying on what he gives you just being on the floor defensively and hustle, and these are things that he's not necessarily consistently doing. So I'm not saying that they'd be better off without him, but they'd be better off without him if he's not going to play like he was playing. If he does not raise it up a, a level. At least he can't drop it down, <laughs> he can't drop down a level or two because then he's not better than having OG a power forward or Boyan a power forward and letting somebody and let Josh Hart play more minutes and let Dante play more minutes because you haven't even seen OG without Randall too much. And OG becomes a whole nother thing, but there's really no great updates on OG. Other than he's not ready yet. And the elbow injury is very similar in, in the fact that it could be re-injured. And if not re-injured, he could just not be shooting as well as he was shooting before, which would really be a, a pain in the butt. Or he cannot be as aggressive with that arm defensively, which could also be a pain in the butt. But we're not going to talk about that. But this team with OG... And, and or Bojan or Precious playing more minutes as long as OG's on the floor without, o, and I'm saying a healthy OG, without OG, forget it. But with OG, you don't know, this team might be good enough to beat a lot of people if it's juxtaposed with a half Randall. Because Randall's not giving you enough defensively. He's not giving you what Precious is giving you defensively. He doesn't, he doesn't hustle like Precious is hustling. You know, he doesn't provide the physicality defensively, the versatility defensively that Precious is offering. So if you're not, and he could, by the way, he could, which is what frustrates a lot of people about Randall. He could do that very well, as a matter of fact. He's not rotating the way Precious is rotating. Let me throw that in there. He doesn't rotate the way Precious is rotating. But he could do it. If he did that, then there'd be no question. But if you're getting... You know, the half you know, half the time not 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 hustling, not making the third effort. Like I'm not saying he don't make the second, but sometimes he don't make the third or the fourth. Or he doesn't, you know, attack the front of the rim to to uh defend against a drive or something like that. If he's not doing that, and on offense you're getting some 
softened version of Randall offensively where he's just taking jump shots. He's not being aggressive and he's not drawing double teams. So he's just forcing shots. Then you're better off not having him out there. And I'm not, and I want to be clear. This is if he's not playing like he was early in the year, he needs to play like he was early in the year and be that efficient offensively. And he needs to, you know, step it up defensively in order for him to elevate the team if OG is is healthy and playing. Because we're we've been talking about this for for a few weeks now with Precious playing as well as he's playing. Again, we're not saying he's out there being Giannis, but defensively and on the re on on, on the boards and the way he's switching out and the hustle that he's offering, he is really somebody that needs to play. Mitchell Robinson looks like he's close to coming back, relatively close to coming back. That's the way he's talking on IG, and that's the way he's looking. So that means he's, Precious is not going to be playing backup center. He's going to have to play backup power forward. You're going to have two healthy centers, God willing. So he's going to have to play backup power forward, and you also got Bojan Bogdanovic. And you also have OG to play some power forward. So some of the guys that are play, have been playing really, really well are going to get squeezed minutes-wise when everyone is healthy. And again, you want everyone healthy. But if he's not really healthy, if Randall's not really healthy and not playing like he was before, then it may not be better to have him out there if he's not doing the things he was doing before and he's not stepping up defensively, doing the things that Precious was giving you. So maybe it sounds ridiculous to say that all-NBA player you might be better not having him. It is ridiculous to say that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if he played at an all-NBA level, you definitely need him. And I don't think they can get near as far as they could with an all-NBA Randall. But if all-NBA Randall is not out there, they're going to be a worse team because they're expecting him to be all-NBA Randall and not giving it to you, which means there's going to be shots that are missed and decisions that are missed, hustles that are not made <laughs> because of his shoulder. So this is a concern. It's been a concern. It's not a new concern, but it's a concern that everyone should be really thinking about. And I'm not saying just hold him out to the playoffs because I think that's also ridiculous. He's got to play. you got to be out there. you got to play. Once you're playing, that's... He's, you can't you can't run from the injury by saving him for the playoffs because you don't know what player you're going to get. He's got to get used to playing with that shoulder. He's got to get used to being – got to get in game shape. He has to be on the floor. So you don't want him to come back too early, but you don't want him – you want him to come back when he's supposed to come back, whenever that is. But you're not holding him out to the playoffs if he's ready beforehand. He's got to come out. And if he gets hurt again, it, it would be unfortunate and it would be terrible. But that's that's the game. That's part of the game. But I am legitimately concerned that when he comes back, you're not going to see the same Randall, not because he's rusty, but because he's playing skittish and not because of anything that Randall has shown you uh, as a player or a person, but because that's natural. I think that would be true for anybody with that injury. Like you're going to come out. You know, I should say 99 percent of the population. You're going to be a little bit skittish about people running into that shoulder. And you might even have guys that run into that shoulder on purpose. 
So it, it is it is cause for concern. It's one thing to not have them. It's an it's another thing to have a half version of them. And that should be that should be something the Knicks are not looking forward to. You know, I, obviously, yeah, you know, it's a, a, a water is wet. But that is a concern. But of course, they got to get there. And you and again, I've focused on the seating over and over. I think they need to get at least OG back to compete for that three seed or two seed. They need at least OG back. They got to get him back in there. And I think that they can do that in the regular season. I think they can get by in the regular season if they have Hartenstein and OG. I think they can get. I think they can get by. They're gonna have games if Alec is not playing well and they're not using Bojan the way they need to use Bojan, or if Josh Hart gets hurt, God forbid. You know, Josh Hart. I think he's under. I, a lot of people underappreciate what Josh Hart has been doing out there, and I gotta give him a shout out. If he gets hurt, things change. But if you got OG, Josh Hart, and and uh, Hartenstein out there, you got a chance every night, you know, and Jalen Brunson goes without mentioning, come on, you already, nobody needs to say that, obviously you need Jalen Brunson, yeah, let's not be stupid about it, uh, the asterisk would be, Dante, if, if Alec can play better, and if Bojan can play better, you might be able to get by some games not having Dante out there, but Dante's been awesome for the Knicks, and you need to shout him out too, he's been awesome for the Knicks, and you don't want Dante to lose uh, his rhythm, or you don't want him to lose his aggressiveness because he's been awesome for the Knicks. And if Dante was playing like he was playing before, they're definitely going to be able to keep their head above water until Randy comes back. But they need OG. They need him. They need OG to be that team. You know, so the next the next OG update is going to be a big one for me because we're at the time when he's supposed to be back on the court. I know they say reevaluated. But he's at the he's at the time where he's supposed to be back on the court. Randall's a little up in the air, but he's supposed to be back on the court real soon, another week. And this is the week. He's got to be back out there. And then you can start looking at the team like this might be the team when OG is back. This might be the team that you have for the rest of the year. And you got a chance to make noise. You can you can beat teams with that team. I can't reiterate enough you can beat teams with that team you ain't gonna beat boston you're probably not gonna beat milwaukee but you can beat other teams with that team so that should be enough to get you through the regular season and get you where you need to go detroit tonight revenge game i see people already saying revenge game for fournier predicting fournier is gonna light it up or, or i shouldn't say predicting i think that's like uh that's common sense probably that he's gonna try to but wanting it, you know, and don't forget about Grimes is a revenge game for him as well. But thinking that these guys might try to light the Knicks up, that's just common sense. Rooting for it is just real sus. It's like the folks that were rooting for OB to, and rooting for RJ and rooting for IQ to light the Knicks up. Like, what is that? Explain to me what that drive is where you want these guys to light the Knicks up. It's you're just doing that because you that was your favorite player or you thought the player should play or you're just anti-Tibbs. So you want everything uh, to happen possible to make Tibbs look ridiculous and make him look wrong. Like, what what could you possibly want to get out of Evan Fournier lighting the Knicks up? 
you just feel badly about how things went in New York and you thought he was treated unfairly. He's a professional basketball player who's out of rotation. It happens. It happens. He's getting paid. Like what? I felt oh, mildly bad for for Fournier, but he was getting paid. He's getting paid. And it wasn't because he was playing outstandingly when he was on the court. He wasn't playing that well. Life happens. I just want everybody to keep stock of all of the ex-Knicks that everyone thought was going to go somewhere else and light it up. We can go back to the previous uh, front office and we can talk about Frank Nilekina, <laughs> who was my guy, Weapon X. I didn't think he was going to light it up. But a lot of people, there was a Frank Hive that thought he was going to light it up when he went somewhere else. Kemba Walker. There were definitely people who thought Kemba Walker was going to light it up when he went somewhere else. That was that was this front office, though. Uh, Kevin Knox, this front office, they thought he was going to light it up when he went somewhere else. Couldn't wait for him to show what he could do. Reggie Bullock. It's not like the Knicks, you know, didn't play him. And, you know, he, he moved on. It happens. All right, Derrick Rose. Everybody thought Derrick Rose was going to light it up. Derrick Rose scored 14 points, man. The Knicks never should have let him go. There was literally tweets like that. Who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, oh, of course, Hall of Fame Cam Reddish, who's had a thousand revenge games against the Knicks. And they're waiting for the one game he actually plays well so they can circle the block on Cam Reddish and tell you how great Cam Reddish was supposed to be here with New York. Cam Reddish, who's on his last leg in this league right now. And y'all talking about the worst aspect of the whole Cam Reddish thing for New York is that they traded a pick for him. It wasn't a great pick, but they traded a pick for him. That's the worst aspect of the Cam Reddish trade. Not that they got rid of him, but they traded a pick for him. While y'all sitting here rooting for him like he's the next Tracy McGrady or something. RJ and IQ, obviously a new one. Much more, a much trickier one. Of course, they want RJ to light the Knicks up. He had a chance. Didn't do it first time. They're going to keep rooting for him to do it until he does it. Until he pulls it off. He can play him four or five times. <laughs> he can he can wet the bed three, four times, and it won't matter. It'll be that one time, and Twitter will be ablaze with Nick fans, supposed Nick fans rooting for RJ Barrett against the Knicks. Obi Toppin, another Hall of Fame one. Let's not go into that. I think the one thing you could take away is that maybe that these guys that you are so determined to convince us are budding all-stars, maybe they aren't. Maybe they aren't. Maybe the Knicks really had a reason not to play these guys. And nobody thinks that Fournier is incapable of scoring points and shooting well in this league. It's just that Fournier could not play for this team. And if you look at this team right now and the guys who are playing on this team, Fournier should not be playing over any of them. Now, I guess some of you will have arguments when it comes to Burks or or, uh, Bogdanovich, but that's a different situation. Bogdanovich plays a different position, and Burks is on the last year of his deal making $10 million, and they can take him or leave him, even even though they got him to help. Bogdanovich is really the one supposed to provide, help provide offense in that second unit. Alec Burks is supposed to be a secondary ball handler for that second unit. He should be fine in that role, has not played great. 
But, you know, the idea that Fournier was better than those guys is silly. Grimes is a different situation. I think IQ is a different situation. RJ is a different situation, all for different reasons. All for different reasons. I would say Grimes is the one, to me, Grimes is the one that is the riskiest. It was not RJ. RJ is already getting paid, even though he's kind of played well. He's played, he, you know, he started off great. He's kind of tailing off a little bit, but, you know, as good as RJ, as well as RJ has played, at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world. You know, when you get OG and Anobi, IQ is a free agent. He's about to, if he gets $25 million a year, if you look at it right now, it's a little bit, it's a lot for IQ. That's not a contract the Knicks want to give IQ. But Grimes, Grimes is a whole nother thing. If Grimes turns the corner and and could be the, the player, at least, you know, the beginnings of the player that a, a lot of us thinks he could be. And I don't mean to say that he's going to be, you know, uh, an MVP candidate, but I think he can do a lot better than he's shown then that trade might hurt a little bit because, uh, you know, who knows what comes of Bogdanovich uh, this summer. And I think he's going to be trade bait. So who knows what comes of that contract and, and that player, that asset. Uh, if it's if that big trade is made and they pull that guy in and you shake that Grimes deal off. But if you got to bring back Bogdanovich next year in order to salvage the purpose of that trade, yeah, it looks a little shaky. But we talked about Boston not necessarily being a, a game that the Knicks should have won. But this game against Detroit, regardless of all the scenarios, they need to win this game. Uh, they have enough healthy bodies to win this game. It's always tricky playing these young upstart teams. Uh, and Detroit's been playing a lot better since the trade deadline. None of it matters. The Knicks are supposed to win tonight. Uh, I expect them to win tonight. It would be a terrible loss if they didn't. Make sure you follow at Sports Ethos on Twitter, at Ethos Knicks. Until next time. Wait, wait, wait.